This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Pride of London podcast, part of the fan-sided podcast network. Please welcome your hosts, Gabe Henderson and Travis Tyler. Hello, everybody, and welcome into this midweek edition of the Pride of London podcast. We've got a lot to talk about today. I'm your host, as usual, Gabe Henderson, and I am joined by Travis Tyler, my co-site expert and podcast co-host. So um, we'll just jump right in here. Travis, yesterday we defeated Luton to advance into the FA Cup quarterfinals, which we now know we will be playing Middlesbrough away. Um just a quick little thought on that. They've played really well lately. They've knocked out some big clubs. They actually, well, that's a compliment to Spurs calling them a big club, but they played well the other day against Spurs. And then I believe they beat Man United in penalties in the round before. So while drawing a championship side in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup is about exactly what you could ask for, this is probably the most dangerous non Premier League team left. So um, just some quick thoughts on facing Middlesbrough before we get into the Luton recap. Yeah, I mean, it it seems like they're the team with the magic of the cup behind them right now, being able to go against not one, but two, quote unquote, big Premier League teams and, you know, get them out of the way. And then they have a third one and they're going to like their chances. And, you know, they probably should, given how much Chelsea struggled to get past Luton Town, like, how much we've struggled for a while now. Like, even if we play well, like we did against Liverpool, we just can't get our luck sorted out in the right way. And hopefully we can so we can get the FA Cup and end the season with something. Yeah, um, I think it's safe to say at this point that the FA Cup is the most realistic chance we have at a trophy. Um, obviously, we know the Premier League is done and dusted. That's a two-horse race. We're kind of sitting awkwardly by ourselves in third and then the champions league is never easy to win so that's um yeah the the fa cup's the best shot we have even though there's still some big clubs left in it it's just take it one game at a time and in order to get to the semifinals we're gonna have to go to middlesbrough and beat a team full of confidence so just jumping into the luton game real quick chelsea won three two it was away um, little hole in the wall ground there at Luton. Really tough atmosphere. And, you know, they're obviously we're going to touch on all the Roman Abramovich stuff later, but that came out about an hour before kickoff. Um, so there was that distraction in addition to the fact that basically every defender on our roster was out and Thomas Tuchel rested a lot of players. So it, it wasn't the best performance from Chelsea. But it, it got the job done. And, you know, I'll say this one thing with all those odds stacked against them, especially against a Luton team who's a lot better than people give them credit for. They're sneakily sixth in the championship right now, so they're in a promotion playoff spot. Uh, it, it was a good performance. It was the most heart that I've seen from a Chelsea team in a while, especially given the fact that they went down early. So just to kind of walk through the events in that game, Chelsea went down in the second minute. Uh, off a corner, Malang Sar really failed to mark his man. And it, it was just the beginning of a horrendous night for him. He was also at fault for the second goal. Saul scored his first goal for Chelsea. It was really good to see. He played really well in the first half and overall really well on the night. Um, 
I talked about it in my post-match player ratings that Saul was really the one who inspired the comeback with what I would call a golazo in his, his first goal for Chelsea. Um, it was probably the worst assist you'll ever see from Timo Werner, who kind of lost the ball, dribbling it across the 18-yard box, and it fell at the feet of Saul, and he hit it in. So that was that was a big positive on the night with Saul's performance, but it was kind of overshadowed by some other people that we'll talk about later. The one thing I will say is it, it was a wonky lineup, so that only added to the troubles that they were facing. Um, we saw Ruben Loftus-Cheek as a center back yesterday, and a lot of people who didn't watch the game will obviously be scratching their heads at, at that. And the only fault that Loftus cheek had, I believe was the miscommunication with those around him. Other than that, he was the best of the three on the night, even though he didn't play center back all night. And that's more a testament to his ability going forward. We really saw some of those signature Loftus cheek runs through the middle of the park later on, especially when he moved into midfield. And that's why I think he did move into midfield, but Overall, I mean, when you look at a game where we played Callum Hudson-Odoi at right wing back, um, Antonio Rudiger at right center back, Ruben Loftus-Cheek at center back, Malang Sara left center back, and Kennedy as right wing back. When you've got that back five with three, for all intents and purposes, attack-minded players in there and come out with a win against a championship side, that's a good result, all things considered. Um, yeah. Yeah, so just one question I have for you after my lengthy recap there. Kennedy wasn't good. Neither was Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, just to touch on Kennedy at first, though, where do you think we stand with him in this team? And it, the fact that it doesn't really instill confidence in anyone, that he is the emergency wingback option, and he looked so out of place last night against Luton. Yeah, I mean, Kennedy's not a wingback. Like, Conte tried it, and I thought Conte was going to kill a person during the middle of the game because Kennedy wouldn't stay in position. Like, he's just not a wingback. I mean, he had good loans for a while, but there's a reason why he was back in Brazil. It's because he's not good enough for Chelsea. And, you know, us bringing him back, that was an emergency thing. But, you know, us actually using him, like, that that's – I don't want to say embarrassing because – Obviously, Kennedy's a professional player and like he's earned his spot, but like there, there's no reason we should be using Kennedy. Like, I'd rather Harvey Bale play left wing back than see Kennedy. Kennedy's time at Chelsea's done. And I mean, this is the argument I keep going into, like with a lot of different players. Like, if your time at Chelsea's done, why do we keep using you? Like, why do we keep you around when we could use those kids from the academy? You know, maybe they're going to be just as bad, but. I like their chances of being here next year. And I mean, it's the same case with like Ross Barkley. Like why is Ross Barkley still here? Cause we couldn't get rid of him. So, but why are we giving him minutes over people that will be here next year? Maybe. I think that's the, one of the encouraging things as much as we joke about my love for Ross Barkley, he didn't play yesterday and there was minutes for Harvey Vale, even in central midfield, he came on and although he wasn't, great he tried to be creative and that was really encouraging to see especially from a young player he came in and looked like he belonged and 
like I said, some stuff didn't come off, but you know, he tried an audacious chip over the top and he, he looked comfortable in central midfield. So I'm glad that we used someone like him as opposed to a Ross Barkley. But like you said, Kennedy really doesn't have a place and he shouldn't be playing given the fact that he doesn't have a future. So yeah, I I'm in full agreement. I would have liked to see someone like Harvey Bell or even Lewis Hall there at, at left left um, wing back. I do think that being said though, Marcus Alonso was fantastic against Liverpool. And I think Thomas Tuchel was right to rest him in this game. And I, I think it was obviously, if you look back at it with hindsight, if we had lost this game, people would have been, would have been bagging on him for it. But I thought the fact that we could get out of there with a win while resting people like Alonzo was a huge positive. And one of the other things we got to do on the other side is we got to rest um, Reese James. And I think Cesar Azpilicueta is still hurt. So we got to rest Reese James for the most part. He came on for like the final 20 minutes to see the game out at center back and allow Loftus-Cheek to move up. But even though Callum Hudson-Odoi wasn't good, we know he's not a wingback at this point. So as I said yesterday after the game, I wouldn't take anything from that performance and put it on him. You know, he was just a warm body there. I think it's safe to say that the Hudson Adoy at wingback experiment is now purely just having a warm body and resting players. I, I don't think anyone should judge him on his performances at wingback. I mean, I'm kind of starting to wonder if this is what PSG fans are talking about with Tuchel and how he does like really weird things all the time with his lineups. And I wonder if that's not why we kind of like are as stagnated as we are, because we're just constantly changing things. And, you know, like Hudson Odoi's back at wingback and we tried to make it work. And, you know, sometimes it does. A lot of the time it doesn't, you know, I wonder if just our whole malaise these last few months has just been because we've just been constantly chopping and changing and, you know, our, arguably best run of form since November came when we stopped changing so many players all the time. And obviously you have to at some point, like we needed to, but I don't know. I mean, again, we shouldn't be struggling this much against Luton now, no matter who's playing, but it feels like these guys are so used to just completely different sets of players every time that it doesn't matter who plays where it just seems we're going to struggle regardless most of the time. I will say to that note, I, I don't know if I would call yesterday a struggle in the sense. Yeah, we went down twice and it took a while to um, level after the second Luton goal and then go ahead. But as a whole, and one of the reasons that Ruben Loftus-Cheek was able to put on a decent performance as a center back was the fact that Luton really didn't go for it. You know, they had the corner in the opening minute and then they kind of sat back and absorbed pressure and that got them into a lot of trouble and that led to the Saul goal. Um, they did a lot better job counterattacking on their second goal, but to that same point, it was really just an individual error from Malang Sar, who I'm not going to harp on him too much. He had a really bad night, but to his 
I guess, defense. He had Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Kennedy next to him in a back five. So once again, I, I'm really not putting too much into Malangsar's performance considering how he's played against teams like Tottenham and Man City this season and Brentford as well. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely get what you're saying. To the other extreme, though, it, it really is just, like I said, warm bodies in some areas because of the injuries. And that's where the failure to bring in a wing back in January really bites us. And I'm not saying that it was the wrong decision not to bring in a wing back. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes you need cover and Callum Hudson or and Kennedy are not that cover as we saw yesterday when Saul dropped to left wing back and Christian Pulisic came on as a right wing back. So hopefully now with Chelsea only in three competitions, we won't really see any games like that again. And as this team gets a little more fit fingers crossed, because it seems like every time we get bit, there's just a whole new set of injuries, not accounting for, Trevor Chalaba needing stitches. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, one of the biggest takeaways was Ruben Loftus Chief's performance. He was really creative. You know, his ball over the top to Timo Werner set up the second goal. And that just leads me into the next point. Chelsea played a 3 4 3 yesterday, nothing out of the ordinary, but we did play with Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku. And if you look at the score sheet, they were both on it. So do you think there really is something here? Or do you think this is another instance of these two playing together that is just going to be scrapped when everyone's healthy again? I mean, we've been saying for a while that both of them do better with a strike partner. So it would make sense to play them together. But I haven't seen very much out of Timo for a while that makes me really think like, he's worth starting. Um, people will go back and forth on Lukaku, but you know he's going to start. And I think you have more you can get out of him based on what I've seen than you can with Timo Werner. Like, yeah, Timo Werner runs a lot and he puts in a lot of effort, but what is that effort really doing? Um, I mean, I, I think Kai Hoggerts is in the same place. Like you play him with a strike partner and he'd do better. So I mean, we just, we're just running into this whole issue with all of our attackers need like a very specific set of players to work. And, you know, maybe it'll all work better when Ben Chilwell and Reese James are both back, but we're going to be a while before that. So we'll have to find some solutions. Um, I do think uh, four at the back tends to get more out of Lukaku, depending on what players we have around him, but. I mean, again, we're just running into that same issue of who's around them. So the whole reshuffle we've talked about in the summer may not necessarily be on the pages anymore, but it does seem like it's necessary just to get us some attackers that can work together in any combination. Yeah, and we'll we'll touch on um, a little more of that last comment in a little bit. The one thing I will say is it took Timo Werner a while to get into this game, and I'm hoping that the fact that he had a goal and two assists in this one will really give him a confidence boost because, I mean, one of the things that people pointed out on the second goal um, that Chelsea scored in the first goal that Timo Werner scored, he was onside by a mile. 
Um, there was obviously no VAR in this game, but the first thing he did when he scored is he looked at the linesman, even though he was onside by a sizable, obvious margin. He was really afraid that that goal was going to get chalked out. And so he didn't even celebrate. He, he looked over to the linesman and that really speaks to where Werner's heads at when he's playing. But I think once he got that goal, as I said, the first assist was really him playing poorly. And I thought he, he played poorly throughout the entire first half. I think I tweeted on the pride of London account that he was abysmal and people obviously came at me after he scored and assisted the second and third goal, but it was the correct commentary at the time. He looked a lot more confident and he's still not that guy that we'll see pick up the ball and dribble around players. It's really just still the speed working for him, but he looked like a lethal finisher and he provided an excellent cross into Romelu Lukaku for the third and final goal for Chelsea. So I don't know. I'm in the same boat as you. I haven't seen a lot from Timo Werner that makes me want to retain him. I love him as a guy. He, he's excellent excellent personality and i wish every team could have 11 timo werners as it relates to that relentlessness and personality and i think that's why he hasn't gotten as much slack as say someone like alvaro Morata. but i as a whole i still will need to see more than a goal and two assists against luton if he wants to stay this summer so We're going to take a quick ad break, and then we are going to touch more on the summer and specifically on the breaking news at Chelsea over the last few days. So stick with us, and we will be right back. All righty, everybody. So thanks for staying around. Now um, we are going to get into the big news around Chelsea this week. I, like most people, forgot almost forgot there was a game yesterday because of all the stuff that's been going on um, with Roman Abramovich. So it was announced yesterday by the man himself via the Chelsea official club website that he will be selling the team. He's putting the team up for sale. So Travis, what are some of your initial thoughts before we get into specifics and what that means for the future? I mean, obviously it's going to be a big change for Chelsea who have had, you know, this owner for so long and he's been so invested but like the thing I told you guys at Pride of London, like I just can't bring myself to care that Roman's leaving. I honestly, I kind of fell out of love with the whole idea of Roman after the Super League stuff, which no one seems to be talking about right now. Like everyone talks about how great of an owner he is, but this is the guy that tried to sell the soul of your club that you revolted against not even a year ago because it wasn't a year ago. Like, obviously, he's been very influential in how Chelsea has become successful. But for some time now, I think Chelsea's been a success on its own, separate from Roman. I mean, Roman hasn't really been around very much for years now. And, you know, a new owner is going to be different. We have no idea what kind of new owner we're going to get. But, you know, I don't think it's the doom and gloom people make it out to be. And I don't think Roman should get the absolute reverence that he's getting either. Um, I mean, obviously, like me following Chelsea, the only reason Chelsea was even on TV is because they were good. And that's because of Roman. But, you know, Chelsea's not going to fall apart. We're not going to suddenly become Everton or anything. Like, 
this is a big club. And, you know, if someone wants it and is willing to, you know, just put a little bit into it, it doesn't take much to keep it as a big club. And I don't think anyone's looking at like what Liverpool did and saying, you know, that's just a terrible model. Cause obviously Liverpool's model's doing better than our model. And I don't buy that. It's up to Jurgen Klopp like that. That's the ownership. That's everything that you're going on. And it seems to be similar to what we're looking at is an ownership like that. So, you know, just hang. I mean, it's almost as if like people were saying, like, once Roman leaves, the club will fall apart. Like they're only here because of success. And that's not why I'm here. I, I enjoy watching Chelsea, you know, even if they're extremely frustrating. Sometimes uh, I, I enjoy the club. And, you know, if we didn't win the Champions League last year, I'd have been back this year. And that's how it's going to be. You know, if we don't win, I'll be back next year. I'm not going anywhere. But, I don't know, that's just kind of how it comes off when people are saying, like, the club's going to fall apart. Like, like they're almost looking for out. Like, oh, well, Newcastle's over there, but we'll be fine. And, you know, Roman really helped this club, but, we can't really ignore how he's leaving this club either. I think the biggest thing for me with Roman is, and I said this multiple times on social media yesterday and to the people who have been all sentimental about it. Don't get me wrong. Roman Abramovich, I believe is one of the best owners in world football, but it wasn't about the success for me. Um, With Roman, it was Always, you know, everyone can talk about how he makes his money or how he made his money previously. That's all fine and dandy. I implore someone to find me a billionaire on this earth who doesn't have a little dirty laundry. That's just the reality of the situation. And I get it. Roman Abramovich is a little shadier than some other people, but at the heart of all of it, he's a good person. And I truly believe that I will obviously never get to meet the man, but in my heart of hearts, I think he's a good person and you can point at different things throughout his stint that really show that. Like, obviously one of the first things he did was he revamped Cobham and he really made it this world-class Academy. And I'm not just talking about the, um, the talent in there. He, he really wanted some top tier facilities and he went and got Chelsea that, and he invested a lot of his money, not only into making the club successful, on the pitch, but off it as well. Obviously, you look at all the work he did with the anti-Semitism campaigns and how he defended Reese James when Reese James was racially abused. You know, he's really tried to do good. And I think one of the other things that really speaks volumes to him as an owner is how willing he was to let Emma Hayes do her thing and really invest money into women's football when not a lot of other people were, because I think he genuinely wants the best for this club in every aspect of how it's run. And don't get me wrong. I I get it. There's obviously some blemishes like the super league and all that, but overall Roman Abramovich is the best owner this club's ever had. And one of the best owners that I think English football has ever seen. So it it is sad to see him kind of go out this way um, and just see everyone kind of villainize him because I don't think he deserves that in a sense, obviously, you know, you have to sit here and if you want to talk about how good he is, like I'm doing right now, you have to acknowledge the bad things that he's done and the bad things that he's been involved with. But at the end of the day, 
as an ambassador for Chelsea, he's done an excellent job. So I think it's going to be really sad to see someone walk out the door who absolutely loves the club. And on the flip side of that, I think people are getting emotional about this because they're really terrified. And if we're being completely honest here, people say they don't want the crankies. They don't want the glazers of the world. Here's the thing. People are not really looking into those situations. Like they just generalize the American owners as being horrible, only looking at it as a business. And yeah, Stan Kroenke could fork over a few extra million for certain players. The Glazers have spent a ton of money at Man United. I don't think the owners running it as a business are, I don't think that's a problem. And the reality of the situation also is the fact that Roman Abramovich has run Chelsea like a business. He's put a lot of his own money into it, but over the last few years with Marina Granovskaya, they've really run Chelsea like a business and it's a damn good one at that. So I think there is a model to be successful. Obviously look at Fenway sports group with Liverpool to be successful with owners who treat it like a business. I, I think there's just a middle ground, you know, you, you don't have owners who are going to come in and love the club who will do anything for it and be willing to forgive $1.5 billion in debt like Roman Abramovich has. You're never going to get that again. And that's just a reality that we all have to face. But at the same time, we're not going to get someone like Stan Kroenke who refuses to, or you know what? I'm not even going to use Stan Kroenke as an example. I'm going to look at the owner of Bury who, um, basically used the club just to make money and got it kicked out of the football league altogether. And I think they had to liquidize the club or liquidate the club rather. Um, And they're just now getting back on their feet with new owners. That's not going to happen to Chelsea. As you said, Chelsea's a huge club. So it's going to be some middle ground and I'm okay with that. Just keep winning. And as long as you keep doing good things and being a good ambassador for the club, keep pumping money into women's football, keep strengthening this team behind Thomas Tuchel and keep up the charity efforts. People aren't going to notice that much of a difference at the end of the day, because like you said, Roman Abramovich has been absent for the last few years because he hasn't been able to get into the UK. Yeah. I mean, like the whole, like, Oh, I don't want an American owner thing. Like, how is that any different than saying like, I don't want a Russian owner because they'll be friends with Putin. Like, I mean, it's it's just like these weird generalizations that are okay on one side and not okay on the other side that people are all good with making. And it's just really, the whole situation is really frustrating to me. Like, like I said, I can't bring myself to care all that much about Roman leaving when the way he's leaving is, you know, over a war. Like, you know, imagine if like you're a Ukrainian Chelsea fan and somehow you've gotten word that Roman's leaving. Like you don't care because you have other things going on in your life. Like it's just ridiculous to me. Like people are from what little I've been on Twitter in the past week, like people seem almost more upset about Roman leaving and all the narratives around Roman leaving than the actual war that he's leaving over. And yeah, maybe he's not actually involved with Putin anymore, but you know, he was involved with Putin which is why we're here. And, you know, there aren't any saints 
when you have that much money. But I think there's a big difference between like your issues being out in the open and, you know, I guess like them being hidden, I suppose. I mean, this, the Swiss group, everyone else that I've seen linked to us, like I, I can't find the same like connection as Roman has with Putin, which is how we got here. So, I mean, it will continue on. We'll continue on as we have. And, you know, the owner will be different and, Maybe managers won't be as fired as often, or maybe we won't splash as much money. And, you know, some fans will leave because of that. And, you know, some fans will stick around and talk about how great the Roman years were. But, you know, it's just, it's still going to be Chelsea. You know, we're going to continue on. Life goes on. And, you know, it's... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I wish Roman well. He has done a lot of good things with his time, but you know, it's just never going to be a perfect exit. And you know, the way it's going is definitely not perfect. And I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm just really conflicted about the whole situation without really being able to put it into words. I think a lot of people are as well. And you know, um, like I said earlier, you've obviously got that connection between. Abramovich and Putin, but at the same time, you've got Abramovich trying to do good here, and he's setting up a fund to help all of the Ukrainian victims with the money that he nets off a sale. And he's not asking Chelsea to repay him the one point five billion. So, and, and at the same time, I think it speaks volumes that the Ukrainian negotiators in this whole thing called on him to come and broker peace talks. So. You know, he's, he has been villainized and you can't ignore the fact that some of that is his own doing. You're guilty by association in some senses, but he has really tried to do all he can to build his image back up. And at the end of the day, it's just sad because the UK government has just bullied him into selling and that's not how he wanted to go. And I don't think that's how any of us wanted it to go. But at the same time, like you said, we're still going to be here. It's still going to be the same old Chelsea. We're still going to watch, still going to love watching. And we will welcome any fans with open arms. And if you want to leave, leave, go support Newcastle. That's fine. Um, Like you said, though, we are still going to spend money. Might not be as much. Might be a little more complicated to spend money. But damn it, we're going to spend money. And we're still going to be successful. And you made a really good point about the managers. And that's where I wanted to take this. Um, Obviously, we've talked about Thomas Tuchel and how even under Roman, he was going to be safe going into next year. I, it sounds weird. I think with the new owner that Thomas Tuchel is even more safe than he was before in his position for the long term. And I'm really encouraged about the long-term future under Thomas Tuchel with the new owner. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, it pretty much always goes like to the two extremes when you have a new owner, either they're going to back the guy that's already there or they're going to want their own guy. But like who, who would be a better own guy right now than Thomas Tuchel? I mean, you know, maybe they come in and they look at like Julian Nagelsmann as like this young coach, but I mean, Tuchel's not old either. So I think Tuchel's probably pretty safe. Yeah. Um, how he gets his money, how it's used will change. 
maybe what kind of players we have will change. But I think it would make the most sense to, you know, look at this guy and just continue to back him as we assume Roman would. Um, and that depends on even if the sale goes through or, you know, if it goes through by the end of the summer, we'll have to see on that. But by all, all intents and purposes, it seems to be moving quickly. And it would just make sense to back Tuchel because, you know, there's really no one else out there you could turn to unless unless all of a sudden Pep Guardiola became available. Like, I don't think the ownership would blink. So, yeah. Yeah, to that point, I don't think Pep would ever manage another Premier League club at this stage. But um, yeah, it like you said, it makes the most sense to back Tuchel. And it doesn't matter if you're a fan of the club as an owner or if you're talking strictly from a business standpoint, which it's not going to be one of the extreme or the other. It's going to be a healthy middle ground with the new owners. It's looking like it's going to be the Swiss-American group that takes over. And like you said, it's moving rather quickly so we don't really know when that'll go through but yeah i mean from every direction you look at it it just makes so much sense to keep tuchel and chelsea has got this great core and regardless of whether or not you view this as a business opportunity the best way to make money is by winning and right now thomas tuchel and some of these players give chelsea the best chance to do that Yeah, I mean, it, you're not going to make money off any kind of soccer at all or any kind of football. It's not like in the U.S. where your franchise might actually make you some money. You're just going to be blowing it. So, you know, I can't imagine anyone's looking at it and trying to think otherwise. I mean, obviously, the Glaciers have made a lot of money, but that that's not going to be sustainable forever. And I don't think you can really look at how they've been – treated by united fans and think that you know hey i went in on that so like i said keep saying we march on yeah the ownership's going to change but like i said in an article that i wrote this morning as long as thomas Tuchel and as long as some of these players are here i'm all good i think chelsea will be just fine and i think we will still be able to compete at the highest level against anyone as long as we keep backing Tuchel. And I I think this is a really positive thing for him. And he has to look at it that way as well. Obviously, Roman Abramovich has pumped a lot of funds into his team, as evidenced by Romelu Lukaku's 97.5 million pound price tag. But Thomas Tuchel is now going to officially, and like you said, unless the owners come in and decide, you know what, we want our own person, he's going to get the time that Chelsea managers have always asked for. And that's kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. Obviously we can sit here and be upset about Roman Abramovich. As I've said, I love Roman Abramovich, but Thomas Tuchel's the way forward. And this to me ensures that he'll be here. So um, just as it relates to other daily structures of the club and day-to-day operations. Um, There's still some rumors flying around about uh, Marina Granovskaya and Bruce Buck, obviously two very important people to Chelsea football club. Um, Would, would you prefer they stay or are you in favor of bringing someone new in that knows these new prospective owners, or do you just not care? 
I mean, I, I go back and forth on Marina all the time. And obviously, Bruce was part of the whole Super League fiasco. But, I mean, they're Romans number two and number three. And they have been the whole time. So, it, it's incredibly unlikely to me that they stay when Roman leaves. Like, I, I don't know what Roman's going to do next. Maybe he just hangs out and retires. Or maybe he buys another team somewhere. But... I, I can't imagine those two staying. So, and and I kind of can't imagine any new ownership coming in and wanting two people like that so connected to the old owner because you definitely want you know people that high up in the organization to be your people. So, yeah, I think they'll be gone. Whether that's good or not, we'll just have to see you know what happens next. I mean, Marina wheels and deals really well. But at the same time, we also have all these players on our books that we can't sell because no one will buy them for what we think they're worth, But even though they're not really worth anything to us. Yeah, I would I would almost like to see Marina. I, obviously, I don't want her to go anywhere. I, I think very highly of Marina Granaskaya. I would like to see her stay, if she's planning on leaving, stay for maybe a season or two and just kind of help transition the club because, as we mentioned earlier, this is not a slow well thought out process that Roman Abramovich mentioned in his statement this thing is moving very quickly and you know there's a lot of questions to be answered and a lot of different aspects of the day-to-day operations that are going to change so I would really like to see Marina stay for the foreseeable foreseeable future Um, and as far as Bruce Buck I, I must say, I as his, a chairman, I'm not a hundred percent informed on what he does day to day. He's got good connections in the Premier League and in world football as a whole. He knows the ins and outs of Chelsea, so he's a beneficial guy to have around. But I don't know, as a chairman, if these new owners would be willing to keep him around because, like you said. When it gets as high as the club chairman, people usually want their own, their own uh, men or women. So, I, but even then, I really I'm intrigued to see what Petr Cech's role in all of this is. He's worked really closely with Marina Grenovsky over the last few years. So, part of me just wonders that even if Marina leaves. I wonder if Petr Cech would just take over that role. And I think that's definitely something that you have to ponder because I think he's the one person in all of this that is way too important to lose because he is that link between the board and the squad. You know, he's, he's not playing anymore. He's not doing his whole ice hockey goalie gig on the side. He is 100% committed to Chelsea football club right now. And I think for that reason, he is probably the most important player in this whole reshuffling at the top. Yeah, I mean, the, what I keep seeing is that the new owners, like, they don't necessarily know the sport. So in that sense, you definitely would want someone like Petr Cech to stay. And you know, if he's ready for it, you know, bump him up to that role and let him oversee a little more. So, I mean, there, there may be more people in this investment group than we know of, and maybe there's some people with some invested interest in 
you know, the sport. And maybe that means better check kind of stays in his role and someone comes in over him, but we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, that's how all this is going to be is wait and see. And I know me and you weren't really fans of Chelsea when Roman took over, but maybe we can ask Kevin about it sometime. But if I imagine that's how it was back then, like you have no idea what this new guy is going to bring. So we'll just hang tight and see what happens and keep supporting the team. I'd just like to make it clear that not only was I not a fan of Chelsea when Roman took over, I didn't even know what the sport was. I was four years old. So it was the, he took over shortly before my fifth birthday. So um, if that ages some of the listeners out there, I apologize. But yeah, I, I've known nothing but the Roman Abramovich era at Chelsea. Um, it's well documented in some articles we've done at Pride of London. I might have even said it one or two times in the podcast that my first season as a Chelsea fan was 15-16. So I, I obviously don't know anything that isn't Roman. But yeah, like you said, it's it's wait and see. And I think we have to take that approach with a lot of things. You know, um, we've talked about the stereotypes around the owners, like, oh, you've got the Americans who just treat it as a business. You've got uh, the Saudis who will pump a lot of money into it, but they come with that baggage. And I think all of that is just, it's, it's not healthy to come in with that mindset. And I know you and I were two people, and this is well-documented through um, the Pride of London Twitter account. I know people love to dig up some of the old tweets about this um, and even some articles. We were two people who were very skeptical of Thomas Tuchel when he came in. And I know we've, we've said some critical things of Thomas Tuchel and he's not perfect, but at least for me, he's been a damn good manager and he's climbed up my list of favorite managers and he's really done a good job. And really broken down my preconceived notions that I had coming into this whole relationship between Tuchel and Chelsea. So it's really kind of opened my eyes a bit. I'm, I'm not going into um, a a new ownership group and I'm I'm not going to make any judgments on them based on their past or their history. I'm going in with a clean slate and I'm going to judge them based on what they do now what they do at Chelsea as the owners of Chelsea. And I encourage everyone else to do the same thing because I I think that's really important, especially when you've got a worldwide sport with this many differing opinions. Yeah. I mean, I think it's almost like people have already kind of give themselves up that no one's ever going to be better than Roman. And I mean, the bar is high. Sure. But when you've already set yourself up that way, you're only going to be disappointed no matter what with the next people. And I really, really don't want us to turn into like the Arsenal fans or the Spurs fans that are constantly trying to get their ownership out. Like, let's just, like, I hate to keep saying it, but let's just see what happens. And I mean, if you support the team, you'll keep supporting the team, even if we're awful, you know, even if we go back to the championship somehow, but everyone else can leave. I think we floated the idea around earlier, um, just as, as some of us Pride of London guys, we talked about um, the hypothetical scenario that Roman Abramovich stays, gives the two middle fingers to the UK government, and they relegate us to the championship. And it's just a fun little hypothetical we came up with. But yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're going to stick around. 
most of us are going to stick around. Most of us being the fans as a whole. I know all of us are going to stick around. We're way too emotionally invested in Chelsea too to just jump ship when Roman does. And like you said, even if we turn into the fan base that is picketing outside Stamford Bridge, wanting a new owner, we're still going to be there showing our passion for the club. And just one more thing before we move on. In a really positive note, and I know people are really conflicted about this as well, this could also mean a new stadium with the new owners. I don't know if new owners will want to put a few billion into it. Um, I've, Stanford Bridge is a nice place, but you know, obviously a lot of people want to see a new stadium to kind of compete with the likes of the Man Uniteds. And I know Real Madrid is revamping the Bayou and the San Siro is getting demolished soon and just all that kind of stuff. So we're seeing this, this modern era of football and, you know, those plans have been shelved. Um, with Roman's visa being expired. So maybe we finally see that as well. So that's a positive for some people out there. Um, any last thoughts on Roman Abramovich, the new owners, anything related to Chelsea um, and the new ownership? All right. I think that's all I have. Like I said, I'll encourage people to go in with an open mind because I think that's really important when something as big as this happens. So we're going to take one more quick break and we will be right back to preview the upcoming Premier League match against Burnley. Alrighty, everyone. So it, it feels like a while since we've played a Premier League match. I know we played Crystal Palace like a week ago, but between Lille and Luton and all this stuff with Roman it feels like a long time since we've played a Premier League match and we're finally getting back into the competition um, as a whole. You know, we're, we're jumping back into this busy fixture list of Premier League games. And when we really kind of put the Premier League to the side, we had more games played than everyone else. And now we're kind of playing catch up on that front. So overall, it's been a really positive few weeks for Chelsea as teams like West Ham, Man United, Spurs have all dropped points. And so it's really established our place in third and really made us feel a lot better about the top four race. Meanwhile, Burnley at the other end of the spectrum finds itself um, knee deep in the relegation race. So Burnley has been in really good form lately though. So what are some things that you're going to be looking for in this match? Yeah. I mean, Burnley's in the middle of their usual great, well, not usual, but their great escape of this season. Um, they were way far behind on matches played for various reasons. Now they kind of have caught up, but they are, yeah, they're in 18th, with a game in hand on Leeds, at least, who are in 16. But I don't know. It just feels like this game is going to be like that game against Brighton with the Super League stuff. It feels like there's just so much noise going on around that it's going to be really hard to focus. And, you know, Sean Dyche will walk out on the field eating worms. And it's just going to be a really confusing time like normal in Turf Moor. Um Burnley don't play pretty, but they're really good at what they do, and they'll defend hard and deep and narrow, and we won't have any ways through, 
and that'll frustrate us and they'll hit it long. And if they hit it long the right way, they score. So, you know, this screams like it's going to be a one zero game for somebody and hopefully it's Chelsea at the end of it. One thing that a lot of people haven't talked about is, um, and I said this to Ola on Twitter earlier, he and I had a little exchange on this where we, we were really in agreement. Romelu Lukaku has not played well this season. He's also had COVID. He's bad on an injury. He's had the whole distraction that he caused himself with the interview. And then on top of that, he hasn't played well yet. Here we are. He's sitting there with 11 goals. Most of them very important. So he like he got the goal against Zenit. He obviously won against Luton Town the other day. Scored both the goals um, from open play in the Club World Cup. So for all intents and purposes, I would say this has been an okay year for Romelu Lukaku because he has been there when we needed him. You know, we we paid the 97 and a half million pounds because he wins games. And even though he might not be playing well, it might not be pretty. He's a proven goal scorer that we can have there all the time. And I think having him in a game like this is really, really important. I'm not as pessimistic or as it might turn out realistic as you in the sense that I don't think all the distractions are going to be as much of a factor against Burnley as they were against Luton. But at the same time, there was a three-day turnaround between the two games. So I'm feeling really good about this game based on the fact that we had a lot of players rest against Luton. We had a really spirited comeback victory against Luton despite all the odds against us. And yeah, the, the only thing that really worries me in this one is Burnley's form. I think since they they made some moves both in and out in the transfer market, which have really gone unnoticed, uh, Wakehorse has been a really good addition for them, and they're really not missing um, Chris Wood. I, I don't know. That, that's the thing that worries me is their form, oddly enough. Uh, it sounds weird to say about a team that's in 18th, but the form and, you know, Sean Dyche, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is his channeling of the whole, you know, tough, scrappy English guy vibe that always gets this team up for some of these big games. And like you said, it's the great escape and they're in the midst of it. Yeah. I mean, they've since January, they've played United Arsenal, Liverpool Spurs among, you know, the big six and they beat Spurs. They lost to Liverpool and they drew the other two and they were all, you know, one zeros once. So I feel pretty confident in the one zero prediction with us. But yeah, I agree that, I mean, Lukaku's whole reputation is, is that he's a flat track bully. So, you know, this is the exact kind of game you want that kind of player for. Like, and, and there's not going to be space for Timo Werner to run into. So the only other option is Kai Havertz. And, you know, is he going to be able to bounce around their back line the same way Lukaku will? I mean, it's kind of a weird way to say it, but, like, if you want someone to be taking the beating right now, it'd be Lukaku. So, you know, yeah, I'd put Lukaku in again. I think Tupel will put Lukaku in again. He seems to think he's able to play a whole lot of games. So keep at it. Um, The only question after that would be formation. Um, I kind of think we'll go forward the back just because it's like our more – 
experimental formation and we kind of understand the league is for experimenting for at least the foreseeable future. And, you know, I mean, there's really no one better than Burnley away near the bottom of the table that you can start playing around with things. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think a four at the back is best, especially in this case. I think we'll see some of those the heavy hitters. You know, I think we'll see Reese James come back into the starting eleven. I think Lukaku will start. The only question mark, is, obviously, we're saying this, recording it on Thursday night, having not gotten team news. I don't know if Hakim Ziyech will play. If not, then I could really see a front four of Lukaku, Pulisic, Mount. Havertz and then um, the addition of Mateo Kovacic in there. And I think that could possibly be enough creativity and enough talent in there to break Burnley down. And like you said, get that one decisive goal, but just based on the way Burnley plays and the way that we know they're going to set up, I'm hundred percent with you on the fact that I think we go back for, and I am also in agreement that it'll probably be a one nil. I don't think it'll be one of those one nil games where we are really itching to get that second goal. Obviously we're always going to want Chelsea to score as many goals as possible. The seven nil against Norwich was one of my favorite games of the year, but I think this will be a one nil that we're in control of pretty much the entire game. Yeah. I mean, Burnley doesn't really control games anyway. I think I've seen the stat where the only area of the field where they have more possession of the ball is in their own box. And that includes, you know, the flanks beside the box that includes everything. So, I mean, that's ridiculous how I don't want to say they're passive because obviously the way they play has worked well enough to keep them in the premier league this long. Um, And it's got them two promotions around that with Sean Dice show. Yeah, they're they're definitely going to be on the back foot and just trying to hit us in behind. So in that sense, maybe three at the back would be better because that's how we dealt with counters last year. And I don't know. We we could probably get away with four at the back so long as, you know, it's probably Rudiger and Silva there. Yeah, I think it will be. I think the only reason we didn't see someone like Tiago Silva the other day is because he played – 210 minutes in a week and you really didn't need him at Luton town, but um, yeah. So I think that's going to do it for us today. Obviously a very action packed episode going to be an interesting, interesting weekend at Burnley. Don't say that often. Um, Yeah. But Burnley feels like one of those bogey teams for us, but I really, I feel confident going into the weekend. So like I said, that'll do it for us this week. Obviously, um, head over to theprideoflondon.com. Over the next few days, we will have a lot of pre-match content coming at you for the Burnley game. We will continue to cover the Roman Abramovich stuff. So once again, theprideoflondon.com. If you want to interact with us on social media, the Pride of London on Facebook and Pride O London on Twitter. You can follow me and interact with me personally at Gabe H Sports. I would love to hear some of you guys' Roman Abramovich thoughts and just talk to me throughout the game as well. I'm usually on the Pride of London account during games, but feel free to tweet at me and I I love to talk football with anyone. And Travis, where can they find you on social media? You can find me at Traftical. So we will be back next week, hopefully once again, as always, to recap some Chelsea wins. And thanks, everybody, for listening.